Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a big thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent the weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals. They're also leading when it comes to sustainability. This year, they're collaborating with Music Declares Emergency to transition their event power to grid energy and are displaying the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, bought in deposit return schemes for cups and are zero waste to landfill. They're actively engaged in greening the music industry through Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is Latitude Festival, an incredible lineup this year. It takes place at the picturesque Henham Park in Suffolk between the 21st and the 24th of July 2022. Tickets are available now. Head to latitudefestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours. That's Latitude Festival festival.com forward slash tickets so big up festival republic for their support and their essential work they say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come and that is something we can all get behind Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. I'm journalist and podcaster Greg Cochran. And I'm Faye Milton, a musician, producer and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency. This time on the podcast, we're reflecting on so much music and climate action from Earth Day 2022. Plus, our guests this time are the songwriter Pip Millet and vegan chef and YouTube star Rachel Ammer. We'll hear about how the two friends have teamed up to bring music and vegan food together in a way that benefits the planet. And before we go, we'll also leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, everyone. Faye, have you caught your breath after Earth Day 2022 yet? Yes, it was a huge day. Earth Day is so much music, climate action. The whole week was really packed with stuff music and climate coming together all over the world and the no music on a dead planet hashtag flying around in all kinds of places that I'd never expect to see it so it was yeah kind of amazing yeah I was looking at that hashtag no music on a dead planet and it was just like reloading my my like social feed it was just there was so much stuff right it was great what a great reaction yeah definitely and um one of the the real highlights was resolution song it's one song sung by people from every country in the world so it's this really simple beautiful song and it's been done in versions from like literally every country in the world but in different styles different languages there's like there's just so many amazing versions from from Africa, like beautiful, like feminist teen band from Benin. There's like the Soweto Gospel Choir. There's a version from Vatican City. <laughs> Just like every country. Wow. It's it's mad. It's really, really beautiful and amazing. And it's it's quite hard to describe the feeling you get when you see all of these people in all of these places sing this one sort of super positive song about coming together and having unity on solving the climate crisis basically so just really um it brings a tear to your eye honestly it's like it's we're just bombarded with negative news and stories of division and it's that's not that's not the whole human story you know people collaborate people want to create positivity and join together and, and fix what is a uniting issue basically so so yeah, yeah. that basically 
is an amazing kind of musical um, expression of that. And yeah, so check it out. It's Resolution Song, Planet Resolution. You can Google it, look it up on YouTube. It's probably the, the quickest way to find it. Yeah. The Earth Percent campaign that we talked about with Nick Mulvey on last week's episode, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that in a moment because you, you were involved in a couple of different ways with that. Mm. But was there anything else during sort of Earth Week? I know that Music Declares Emergency were super, super busy. I think you had a, an event with Rough Trade that was going online. There was there was a couple of different announcements. There was obviously the Resolution Song campaign you just mentioned. Was there anything else that you want to kind of pick out the, and sort of point listeners towards? Absolutely. Well, f- well, first of all, it's the the Earth Percent campaign, which we worked with them on, which we'll talk about was 123 songs released by a huge range of artists uh, raising money for climate causes. So that was a brilliant project. Something that was a real highlight was we collaborated with, with Green Music Australia. Um, they've mm-hmm. got an election coming up in Australia, or maybe we have listeners in Australia. You'll already know that. They're a great group. They're very similar to Music Declares Emergency. We actually both reached out to each other at more or less the same time and said, look, let's get together on this. We're, you know, we're stronger together. So they joined Mm. the No Music on a Dead Planet campaign and they got some really great coverage and some really amazing artists. Tame Impala, obviously one of the biggest exports currently from Australia, supported Mm. the campaign, which was amazing. Um, Also an artist called Jimmy Barnes, who you may not know if you're not Australian, but if you're Australian, if you know, you know, Jimmy Barnes, a.k.a. <laughs> Barnsy, got behind the project. It was really brilliant to see such amazing take up from the other side of the world and so much positivity and musicians really getting behind a global campaign. And as you just mentioned there, there was the Earth Percent and Bandcamp campaign, which was basically on Earth Day, as you say, 123 artists. Is that right? Is that the final 123 count? 123 artists. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's epic. The um, we, we mentioned it last week. We weren't able to mention all of the people involved last week on the podcast because it was still, a lot of it was under wraps. But as it kind of turned out, they had artists like Coldplay, Brian Eno was the one of the co-founders of Earth Percent, a big thief, Anna Kelvey, Michael Stipe, Metronomy, Nile Rogers, Peter Gabriel, James, Alfie Templeton, Death Cab for Cutie, Declan McKenna, Orlando Weeks, just just dry cleaning, just so so many great, great artists involved with that campaign in the end. In terms of, if you're only just discovering that now, then basically you can still get involved. Those tracks are going to be available on the Earth Percent Bandcamp for probably like another week and a half yeah. or so. It's, they were going to be there for two weeks. You can go there, download the tracks, and the proceeds from that go to Earth Percent, who then distribute it to the most impactful climate organisations. I think even on the first day they raised more than 18,000 pounds and like yeah that's amazing start so they just like so get in there keep going that's absolutely brilliant and Brian you know said that he wishes that this is going to be an annual thing so next Earth Day as well hopefully there'll be even more artists involved. Faye on two fronts you were involved with this firstly you released some new music because you did a collaboration with Brian Eno himself and uh, and Hot Chip I love that song by the way there's two versions of it in fact there are two versions tell us a little bit about that and then tell us a bit about the fact that you got involved with the live stream that went out on Bandcamp on Friday evening as well I've been a huge Hot Chip fan for a long time and Brian Eno's music I actually really got into in the last couple of years it's it's so just like there's such a vast selection and it's there's never a bad time to listen to Brian Eno that's like it's just if you don't know what to listen to put on some Brian Eno and you're you're happy (laughs) yeah I was just really kind of like really happy to be asked by Alexis to join the band and Brian Eno come together to make a track to make a collaboration for this Earth Percent project at the end of the day I think having the greater kind of picture being there like we're doing this for a reason made it a lot less like 
like it doesn't matter you know go in mm-hmm. play what you want and let's see what comes out of it so it was yeah it's really yeah. interesting just like seeing all of those amazing artists work together me playing my drums on it seeing what I was going to add myself and seeing what I could play that other people were suggesting and yeah it was really nice we did do a live stream a big conversation on Friday yeah tell us about that so who were you, who were you joined for for that yeah we had Anna Calvi Declan McKenna and Hinako Amori alongside Brian Eno in conversation. And it was it was honestly a really lovely conversation. Everyone had very nuanced things to add to the conversation and just a real range of different voices. You know, Declan's like super young generation and has this real mm. fire within him. Brian's got this real kind of wisdom <laughs> that he's grown over these years and years of thinking about these topics. And Hinako's mm. like works a lot with nature in her sounds and has this very sort of thoughtful and thought out sort of feelings about us collaborating with nature and really bringing that into our lives and Anna as well is just deeply rooted in understanding how art can change change politics and change what's happening in the world and a real belief in how that works so it was really amazing to talk to all of them and everyone brought a different piece of chat to the conversation so yeah if you missed all this head to earthpercent.bandcamp.com all the songs are there you can still get involved as i say and hopefully there will be more of this in the future before we move on Faye, i guess it's worth worth saying that like it's important that i mean i think you definitely deserve a kind of a, a you know a lie down a few a bit of time off after oh, everything yeah. that you've been doing in, in in the run-up to, to earth day but yeah and we fully appreciate that we've been talking about this a lot in the last few weeks on the podcast and also acknowledge the fact that obviously earth day is a big kind of event where lots of action surrounds it but obviously we're very very much key supporters of the fact that earth day is every day and that like kind of you know we want um we want to see action all year round rather than just kind of focused around that period yeah absolutely it's still useful it's useful for to have a focal point where people can go mm. right we're going to do this at this point and this is the reason why we're doing it and i think that's that's mm. why things like earth day are useful i call it climate change christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah it felt like that lots of presents to open this year <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so away from earth day we thought we'd bring you something a little bit different on this week's podcast from the get-go we promised to explore how music is responding to the climate crisis with a different angle each time and it's also the first time that we've ever had two guests on together on the podcast which was really good fun and we're talking food this week on sounds like a plan because obviously what we eat and how we grow it constitutes a major driver of climate change. And obviously to cut to the very crux of it, if we don't reduce meat consumption, we're very unlikely to meet the objectives set out by the COP agreements for limiting global heating. That sounds very simple, but it is quite a sort of tricky, nuanced thing to talk about because it's not just about what ends up on our plates. It's about the economics, the people's livelihoods and traditions and cultures and attitudes and well-being, all these things kind of bound together. But as the scientific experts say, like adopting a more plant-based diet is not just better for us but crucially better for the future of us on this planet with that in mind we want to invite pip and rachel onto the podcast pip is an amazing singer and songwriter check out her most recent single ride with me out on dream life records and rachel is a hugely influential vegan chef with a huge online following for her videos and recipes lots of you may be aware of her stuff on youtube but if you are not do go and check that out they're also mates and brought a vegan food truck to one of pip's headline gigs earlier this year so who better to ask about where food music and climate all overlap so this is pip miller and rachel ammer on sounds like a plan (laughs) 
really excited to get to speak to you both together on our podcast, Sounds Like a Plan. First off, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background as friends? How did you first get to know each other? We actually only met last year. Um, Okay. I've been following Rachel for a while because she does lots of vegan food. And I only went vegan like a couple of years ago. So I've still been like figuring out new recipes and things like that. And um, I found Rachel on Instagram and... I'd kind of been just following it from then. And then I'm not even completely sure how we wound up doing, like, working together. But it's been really fun. Yeah. I It's always, like, this really, like, surreal thing when, like, I listen to Pip. Like, I know her as an artist. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I've got your book. Like, I follow your recipes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> it's crazy. And then to to work with her and give food on her show like it's one of the coolest projects Nah, it's the coolest project that I've worked on and done so like it's, it's just been really really fun together you had a project where you basically had a vegan food truck it looked like loads of fun do you want to tell our listeners about it when it was and where it was and and what was on the menu things like that it was the second London show that we had the food truck at and um I think we had it as something for like 100 people to sign up to and come before the show and get some lovely food from the truck. And yeah, we served them, which was really fun. It's, it's funny because you want to, I, I always wanted to do a food truck, always plan to. So this is the perfect project to do it with. Caribbean food is my soul and my heart. So it was really natural to want to do that. So we had curry jack, which is like a take on curry goat. So mm. instead of using goat, we had jackfruit. And also wow. some fresh vegetables in there. And it was, it's funny because when, when I was testing it, it's so interesting trying to work out the heat levels when you're trying to serve for like loads of people because you <laughs> have to bear in mind that everyone takes spice differently. And we also did a take on jerk chicken uh, with my jerk sauce and fake vegan chicken and we gave people the option. So in my head, you either had like a big Caribbean platter of rice and peas, coleslaw, fried plantain, a uh, caramelized pineapple salsa and then either you're like super veggie curry jackfruit with kind of root vegetables and lots of spices and herbs or you go for that kind of mock meat vegan chicken this sounds so tasty i'm like literally my mouth is starting to water yeah it sounds brilliant where, where did the idea come from did it did, did, did it was it born out of wanting to sort of raise the profile of like plant-based food or was it just you just thought hey that would be fun <laughs> honestly i for me i oh i knew i wanted to like give something back to like people that would come to the show and i think like because i'd had the shows put back so much i was meant to do them in april 2020 and i wound up doing them in january 2022 and it felt like i wanted to give a bit more so i knew i wanted to do to do a food truck I think because my managers knew I was vegan as well and I'm half Jamaican so I've I've grown up with a lot of like Caribbean food and then I think yeah they kind of thought of Rachel in that and like lucky for me she also wanted to do a food truck. Yeah it's really cool because I think in well in my experience of being African Caribbean in London being vegan for nearly 10 years it's always this like taboo of what a stereotypical vegan is and I'm like you can put those stereotypes and throw them in the bin because actually 
the reasons for adopting more of a plant-based diet. They're impactful, they're beautiful, and they're things that we should be doing more consciously, whether you're saying you're vegan or not, just eating more plants, we need to. And for me, being able to share my love of plants in the communities that I love and communities that are scared of the the stereotypes and not understanding that actually you can still have really flavorful food using whole foods without animal suffering. Like shock horror, we don't have to have chicken on the plate. I can actually make you something super delicious where you're not thinking this needs meat. And being able to work with Pip um, and share that with her audience, and it, it makes it feel more normal. It's not like, oh, it's vegan food. It's like, oh my God, there's food here. It's free. It's super tasty. Oh yeah, and it's vegan. But that's not like the... It just, it just, I think it just normalizes it, especially to see people who maybe Pip has fans. Pip, Pip can sing. Like <laughs> she had people crying at the concert, okay? And people look up to her and to see that she's, you know, embraced and enjoying and thriving on this diet, I think it's admirable and it makes it feel more normal and not this scary taboo or what people used to always say to me back in the day, oh, it's just a trend. I'm like, it's not a trend, okay? You watch. <laughs> mm, mm, absolutely. Wow, that's interesting. And it was free. That's so nice. So I, I know it's like if you invite people to the show, it can feel like you're inviting them to like a house party. You know, you're inviting them to your home, even though it's Absolutely. only your home for a night. So I could understand that that feeling of wanting to feed people and, and bring more to that setting. And I was going to say, Rachel, I think it's really interesting, the idea of what's what's the typical vegan, because I've been vegan for quite a long time. What's your sort of preferred uh, language around it do you prefer saying plant-based do you think that's easier or vegan or is there anything else that sort of can describe this way of eating I'm, I'm super kind of relaxed about it I don't like putting people in boxes I don't like ostracizing people I like to welcome people into things I think in the beginning when I was specifically labeling my food as vegan was out of being lactose intolerant for so many years and really struggling to get food mm. that didn't have dairy slipped into it. And it was like saying something is vegan was you. the easiest <laughs> way for me to go, okay, not only is this an uh, ethical choice I'm making, it's also this isn't going to make me ill because I know it's vegan, if that makes sense. Mm. It, it can be quite scary. It can yep. make people feel like it's a restriction. It can make people feel ostracized. It can make you feel like you're trying to say you're above someone and this is all things that I don't subscribe to. So how I approach it for myself is like, if you if you really want to know, yeah, I'm vegan, but like, mm. I just like to say to people eat more plants and um, find the en enjoyment in veganism. Mm. It's become this like word that even if you're vegan, you might want to avoid it or you're really proud of it. It's just too, I'm like, I'm, I'm just way too relaxed about it. Like just take a step back from it and do what feels good. You're making a conscious effort to eat more plants. You're choosing to reduce animal suffering. You're choosing to look after the environment. Like these are sick things do it in your stride enjoy it the food is buff like have a good time <laughs> that's literally how I look at it <laughs> the food is buff I love that yeah I love the fact that this idea has brought like the the worlds of like food and music together and obviously your friendship as well what do you think that when it comes to food and music they're both 
they're not dissimilar are they they're really rooted in like our cultures our traditions our identities they're good for our mind and and our body what what, what do you think the sort of similarities between those two worlds are i think both are in some ways a form of self-care like you look after yourself with like tasty food and with good music it makes you feel better a lot of the time i think this is why me and pip are similar like (laughs) Food and music, like it's it's such a, a gift to be able to sit down with a really delicious plate of food and feed yourself and feel good about the food you're eating, uh, whether you're v- with your friends or if you're by yourself. It's a really special uh, moment in life that I think we sometimes take for granted. And when you have music, it's like all the senses. If you're in my first book, I put um, songs for recipes because I wanted to help people kind of find their groove in cooking, like just relax when you're cooking with vegetables, like you're not really going to give yourself food poisoning, like you can't go too wrong. Like it's, it's have fun with the spices, put on your favorite song that makes you two step, makes you dance, have the spices in the kitchen. You might have someone there or not. It's just, it's the self-care. Like Pip said, like have a good time. It's all the senses. I promise you, Cooking with your favourite songs is is just a whole experience in itself that people should be doing. Yeah, totally. When you first started learning about the sort of origins of food, like food systems, you know, where, where your food's coming from and like, you know, producers and things like that, and then its connection to the environment and then obviously the the huge questions around our food systems and, and how that relates to the climate crisis. I'm just interested to hear a little bit about your perspective on that and your kind of learning I suppose take us back to when that started did it take you a while to kind of be like oh hang on I'm starting to join the dots on on some of these things and and for that to become a core part of what you do yeah definitely I think for me in in growing up in in London in a city I I was very disconnected from where my food came from I just knew the food charts at school you know like your meat your dairy your eggs like very simple this is how you eat this is how you feed yourself and I was at the chicken shops all the time as a teenager and then when I watched I think I watched what the health and that was the first time that I'd seen the food system in a way I'd never seen it before I was genuinely really shocked and upset that I had no idea that this is how my chicken wings ended up on my plate and oh, I was just so disconnected. I, I I love animals. I've always had pets. And yeah, it just broke my heart. So then that was like, then I went vegan for ethical reasons and health. And then later down the line, I learned more about the planet and how it was impacting the planet. And then even now, I'm still always learning. I did a really cool project with Jack uh, Harry's on our food system and it was like a the pros and cons it's like we were seeing how all these really inspirational people were coming up with different ways to help with climate change and the climate crisis by having regenerative farming and growing um whole foods underground and just these really cool uh ways that we need to kind of move forward going forward but on the other side you just see how desperately we need to change and it's a, a constant learning because uh, for me, this wasn't something I learned in school. It's something I'm kind of 
continually waking up to. Um, mm-hmm. And it's quite heartbreaking when you look into it. But I think what's really important is not to shy away from it. I think it's really easy to look at some things and go, oh, that's really shit. And just <laughs> ignore it. But actually, there are little changes that we can do in our days to days that make a big impact on how our planet will survive in the next couple of years. So being conscious of small steps that you can make every day, learn something new, cut out one thing here and just progress moving forward. It is such a challenge to wake up every day. It's a challenge enough for the general news and then something as existential as the climate issue. Looking towards it rather than looking away is a a really brave thing to do. And to do that every day can feel like something that's too overwhelming for a lot of people. But as you said, doing a small thing and actually making like a progressive step in your life can actually help you feel much more confident to start to look at the bigger picture as well. When you do take that decision to stop using animal products, that's also a decision to stop taking the natural world for granted. So it's not only that you're taking a step that's that's creating less emissions. So many animal habitats are ruined by agricultural meat production that you're taking these sort of steps that are, are practical. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when you know better, you do better. And it's, it's you, there's not, I, I feel like sometimes there can be a lot of pressure and it can be really overwhelming. And for when people feel that way, it's always a case of kind of taking a step back and just being really realistic in your lifestyle and just making that one small decision to be like, you know what, I'm not going to have dairy milk in my cup of tea and my cereal anymore. I'm going to switch to a plant-based milk. That's just one small step that makes a massive impact. And even in doing that, you could be living mm. with flatmates, you could have kids, you could have grandparents, and they will kind of watch you. And, and we all as a community pick up and learn from each other. So the more that we take action in our small steps, it does genuinely evolve into a bigger impact. Um, and it's a really feel-good action to make, as you say. It's it's You know that mm. you're, you're taking charge, you're taking control of, of something that is actually really important for our well-being in this planet, um, that it feels good to know that you're contributing and yeah. Also, I just have to say, I I was with like some school kids and uh, I gave them an award for growing mushrooms from the food waste in their canteen. And they were so excited about it. And it was a really like incredible moment to just be with the younger generation and see how when I was in school, if someone was trying to grow mushrooms, with food waste, they'd probably get teased. Whereas in today's school, it was like, yeah, to put it lightly, unfortunately, that was the mindset in my school. But I think in in today's generation and the younger generation in being so much more aware of our environment, there's, they gave me a lot of hope. They were super inspirational to me. And just seeing their faces light up and be so knowledgeable on how we can make change to help our planet was just really incredible. Like it was one of the best days that I had last year, hands down. Oh, beautiful. That sounds amazing. And Pip as well, I think that mindset of looking towards things and taking a a really brave, positive step, it's, that's part of a musician's daily life because making music is, is so vulnerable and it's like 
putting yourself out there even if you're doing a first gig or you're playing a huge stadium show you're you're stepping into a really vulnerable space so would you say that there's a, an energy with taking on walking onto a stage or walking into a recording studio that can help you make more progressive decisions in your life as well I am someone that <laughs> gets anxious with change um, at first I really hate it but I think Overall, I'm always very much aware that it'll always do me good. I grew up really shy, so being on stage feels a bit insane to me. It feels very weird that I've wound up in the career I have done. But I think a lot of like a lot of going plant based is stepping into something new and it's relearning something. And I think people that are grown hate to feel like they're they're like not in the know with something so maybe that makes them feel a bit like vulnerable and and weird and yeah I guess it makes it a little a little bit scarier to step into a plant-based world and try and eat differently and you like learning to season things differently and cook things differently it's a big change when you've grown up with something I grew up with meat it took a long time for me to move move away from it but I think part of that was just fear. I was just scared of change. I didn't like the the thought of it. And uh, I didn't want people to think that I was strange. (laughs) Um, But I'm so glad that I have, you know, stopped eating meat. I can't have dairy anyway. And it's lovely to see the change that that's had with my family as well. Because my family have stopped eating meat. They still have dairy. So it's not quite gone the whole way. But it, it was crazy to see how much... I influenced my family, mainly during lockdown. I guess it is a bravery thing. There's just a lot that people don't know about veganism, I think. There's always that kind of idea that it costs loads more to be vegan, I think, when it doesn't really. (laughs) People are dramatic with that. Back on the sort of music and food tips, in terms of like the potential around your idea, like I love what you did. I, I saw some of like the photos and stuff as well. It looked like a really sort of joyous thing to have the, the vegan food truck like literally outside the front door of the venue that night. What's the sort of potential here? Did it make you think, you know, there should be better vegan food options at gigs, you know, in and around that kind of environment? Did you sort of, did it spark some ideas for you? Did you think, yeah, I'd like to do that again? Oh, 100%, definitely. And I hope that we do some festivals, actually. I would love for us to do some festivals or something like that. that. I would love that. Pip, have you got any festival bookings this summer? You know, you should take it to a festival that you're playing. I do have some festival bookings this summer. So maybe maybe we should try and figure something out, Rachel. (laughs) We need it in the sun this time, not in like the cold January. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dark. So brilliant to have Pip and Rachel join us on Sounds Like a Plan. Faye, I think we enjoyed that one, didn't we? Oh, I really did. I mean, first of all, lovely, amazing people. And secondly, just the sound of all that food. Oh, my goodness. Just makes <laughs> yeah, me want so to good. up my cooking game for a start and then also just follow uh, Rachel's recipes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think Pip and Rachel have like quite a relaxed attitude to something that's actually 
a real driver of change, isn't it? Right. Mm. I mean, they, they, I don't think they're, they're not kind of like forceful with their messaging. And and, um, and and I think in a weird way, that's great because we've talked about this in the podcast in the past. Like when you talk to people and tell them about the stuff that they need to stop doing, like that can feel like a bit of a combative kind of message mm. or conversation and sometimes really doesn't have the sort of desired effect. And I guess what Rachel is saying is like, almost let this stuff speak for itself. You put like some amazing food in somebody's hand stood outside a gig. They try it. They're like, wow, that is mm. next level. And like, and trust me, like the food that Rachel makes is next level. And and that's a sort of, um that can be a driver of change as well. Kind of, you just sort of like, if you can just get somebody to try some amazing vegan food, like that can be the one thing that, that means that they, you know, maybe stop eating meat a couple of times a week and try out some vegan food because they end up preferring it and like that that sort of hopeful positive encouraging messaging is can play a really important role as well right yeah absolutely is there any point bashing people around head for, i mean eating beef is really bad like people need to know mm. that it's like that's so far and away worse than any of the other things so that is it's useful for people to have that information. And I think there's there's initiatives like Festival Republic are gonna do like messaging on the food. Mm. They're not gonna stop selling meat, but they're gonna show people this is worse for the environment for you know, by a kind of really simple uh, traffic light system. It's gonna be like mm. one little green leaf for something bad and three little green leaves to show it's really good. So it's it's all kind of it's there's nothing negative. There's no red lights or big crosses, but it's all kind of letting people know that there is a difference between different foods. So I think that's that's important. But at the same time, vegan food has changed so much and it's growing so much and more and more people are just enjoying so much being vegan. It's healthier for your body. Mm. I think there's so much to be gained from it that people who are working in the vegan world can sort of sit back and go, okay, things are changing and things are moving towards this direction without it having to be this big sort of screaming push. But I think there probably was a time when when people were having to be really forceful about it. And that may happen again in, in the near future that people have to really kind of put their foot down and say, stop eating beef because it's like destroying the planet. Mm. But yeah, I think there is, there's such a huge move towards plant-based eating that um, it doesn't need to be a forceful push right now. You know, people are just flocking um, towards it because it's it tastes great and it's there's more and more choice, there's more and more options and there's more and more recipes and people like Rachel who create passion and enthusiasm and the descriptions of what you're going to eat and people know about vegan food, the more you can start to crave it and try it and then you crave it a second time and that's how good habits get formed. Definitely, yeah. And I was really glad to have this conversation because obviously when people think about the contribution of the music community to, to the climate crisis and, and you know in the way that um, it needs to make changes there I think minds automatically go towards things like flights and touring and streaming and production to talk about to have an episode of the podcast talking about food feels a little bit more nuanced but when you actually break it down you realize that it has the potential to make a huge contribution not just in terms of all of the food that say being served backstage with all the crew on big productions at festivals or or arena gigs or something like that but the audience element as well is a massive contributor to this so I don't think like right now like the vegan options at your local arena or your local kind of big theatre venue or something like that are probably not very good and and so like there's no reason why they can't make a make a kind of concerted effort to kind of bring those up so that people can can have more options, see how great it is. And if you add all that together, when you think of the tens of thousands, possibly more gigs happening 
in the country and beyond each year that it really does add up to make a really significant contribution so that is a way that promoters and venues and artists can kind of get involved that isn't just about that kind of those things that immediately come to mind so really really pleased to sort of bring food into the mix Mm. on this podcast as well definitely one initiative that is really great to shout out is that of Festival Republic, who are kind of labelling the food, the carbon footprint of the food on sale at their festivals this summer. You will see that. And um, yeah, it's great to give people the information to be able to make the choice. Faye, should we get some recommendations? What have you got for us this week? Okay, so this week I'm actually going to recommend a cookbook. I got bought this cookbook by my auntie for my birthday and I looked at the cover and I thought, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this. It was like bright green, had these two guys on who were like, super kind of hey we're going to teach you how to make vegan food but actually I was so pleasantly surprised the recipes are amazing and it's called Bish Bash Bosh I think they've got a range of books and they've all got Bosh on somewhere that's their kind of brand name and it's two guys called Henry Firth and Ian Thiesby just the recipes are just delicious they're just like they're manageable they're not too technical it's just delicious. You're really giving yourself a treat. And one of my favourite ones to get people's mouths watering is tofu uh, fish and chips. Highly recommended. Bish Bash Bosh, Henry Thurf and Ian Thiesby. And big respect to them because they're amazing recipes. Yeah, that sounds good. All round to phase for uh, for dinner tonight, I think. <laughs> Um, so I wasn't aware of this until I listened to the Outrage and Optimism podcast, which I love and I've talked about on here before. They were joined by a guest called Edwina Flock, who is the founder of the Environmental Music Prize on their podcast uh, last week. So do go check out that for an in-depth conversation about the origins of what I'm about to mention. I'll stick a link in the show notes to this and obviously to the, the book that Faye just mentioned. But essentially, the Environmental Music Prize is a prize that seeks to amplify the voices of artists who inspire action for climate and conservation it's come out of australia and is linked to green music australia that faye mentioned earlier on the podcast and the winner is going to get twenty thousand dollars which is obviously a significant amount of money and the best bit about this is that if you go onto their website you can actually vote for all the songs and choose your favorite and um, for who you might want to see to win the environmental music prize so my recommendation is to head there they are environmentalmusicprize.com So thanks very much for joining us this time on the podcast. We're taking a quick one-week mid-series break next week, but we look forward to being with you next time on Sounds Like a Plan, and thanks for listening. Thanks for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host, along with me, Greg Cochran. This podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. And this episode was edited by Tim Cochran, with more info at timothycochran.com. Our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com, and the artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Until the next time we're together, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.